This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campuses are joined with us over in Stevens Point and the Fox Valley, as well as all the people who watch us online. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to see you this morning. Before we go much further in our service, we want to pause to take our offering. We are not passing buckets and stuff uh, quite yet. I don't know if we'll ever go back to passing buckets. I don't know. Uh, So many people give online now. And for those of you who, who would like to give, Uh, There are buckets at the entrances or exits of the uh, service this morning, whether you're at the Fox Valley, Stevens Point, or here, and you can put in a check or cash or whatever at that time. Many people will give online. A lot of people do recurrent giving where they just go online and sign up. This is my commitment to the church on whatever weekly, monthly basis that you do. And many of us also give uh, via text to give, which is what I'm going to do right now. You take out your phone and you hit your texting program, and you're going to send a message to this number, <laughs> nine seven se- no, seven seven, <laughs> seven seven nine seven seven. There it is. And in the text message, you're going to type CCWI, standing for Celebration Church Wisconsin, space, and then the dollar amount. And you hit send. And wait for it to confirm back to you. Boom, just like that. Now, the first time you do it, if you haven't done it before, you've got to connect it to one of your accounts, so it'll uh, do it that way. Once you do it, it's all automatic, uh, and uh, we appreciate you giving. People uh, uh, continue to support us during this change in all this pandemic stuff, uh, and the church has done very, very well, and we're very grateful for that, and we ask that you would continue, and we're very grateful for your continued support. All right, there we have So, so did you see the latest CDC thingamajiggy updates? It's been a few weeks ago. Now they're saying that you don't get COVID from surfaces. You didn't see this? No? They say the chance, chance of getting it from a surface is 1 in 10,000. So 
we're going to start handing stuff around again pretty soon. All right. So, I, and I, <clears throat> Uh, especially the communion, because I hate those little cuppy dealies, Bobby. So pray for me. I've been working through that this entire time. But uh, I was like, one in 10,000, we have 10,000 people here, and one happens to have it and happens to accidentally touch one of those things, you might get it, and then only have a 99% chance of living. So <clears throat> now I know people at home, you freak out when I do that. You're making fun of us. No, no. I, look, if you're uncomfortable, that's why we provide our online service, uh, and uh, we're certainly looking forward at some point for all y'all to come back, all right? There's something special about being here with people and connecting with people. Amen. That's what the church is all about. Having said that, I get some of you, your jobs won't even allow you to come to church because they will hammer you if you get anywhere near an open gathering. So we understand. All right. So uh, today is uh, my son Philip's birthday. Happy birthday to Phil. He's getting older than me pretty soon. It'll be an amazing thing. Phil will be actually speaking next week because I will be at a church in California. I've, uh, many, most of you know I've, I've turned down uh, and adjusted our speaking set. We're, we're only going to be doing two events a month now, cutting our schedule in half so we can spend more time here, and I love doing that. And even then, avoiding to be gone on Sundays. But once in a while, there's still, there's just no way you can get back from California. And then on the way back, we're stopping at a, in Texas to speak at a church that's called the Cowboy Church. Have you heard of these? Yeah. Wait till they see me in a tuxedo. I'm going to really... <laughs> I, don't, I don't have cowboy stuff. What am I supposed to do? So... Uh, Anyway, uh, I'm a real cowboy kind of guy, can you tell? Mr. Mr. Flowery, hopefully they don't beat me up when they walk in. So uh, <clears throat> anyway, so anyway, Phil will be next Sunday, and then, then I'll be, we'll be back again. So uh, this morning, we are continuing. Uh, this is the third Sunday of Easter in the Christian calendar. Christian calendar, uh, we go through Lent and build up to Easter but Easter is just the beginning of what we call the season of Easter. We celebrate Easter for a good month or so. Uh, so this is what's called the third Sunday of Easter. We're going to read this morning from the book of Acts in, in the New Testament. Uh, you know, the, the Bible is made up of a collection of many, many books written over thousands of years. Uh, in the New Testament, it's several books over, you know, less than 100 years. But first you'll see the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then you have the book of Acts, A-C-T-S, and then the letters, or what we call epistles, from the New Testament believers. And uh, anyway, so we're looking at Acts, the first chapter, first verse. And we read, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about uh, that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Who was writing? This is Luke. This is the same guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. How do you know that? Because he starts the Gospel of Luke by talking to dear Theophilus. <laughs> uh, there's some argument whether or not that's a particular guy or stood for a group of believers, whatever. Anyway, so it's the same guy, the same guy who wrote. Uh, Luke was a, a, a physician. He was highly educated uh, and obviously very, very good with words. So he writes this, uh, talking about... Uh, so he writes, you know, in the first book... I wrote to you about everything Jesus did, which was the Gospel of Luke. Uh, and now from here, he starts to show us, we get a record of what happened in the early church, what happened to the early Christians, what was it like for them. 
So anyway, in verse 3, after Jesus' suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a 40, a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So we read on Easter about the accounts where Jesus appeared to his disciples and stuff, but this goes on for 40 days. I mean, if there was any doubt in their heads, it was pretty much a race that Jesus was alive because he kept showing up. He would sit down, he'd eat with them, he'd talk with them. So for 40 days, this goes on. Uh, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him what so many people always want to know. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Lord, are you coming back? When is all this stuff going to happen? When does everything wrap up? And uh, Jesus said to them, it's none of your business. Basically, uh, it is not for you to know the times or dates that the Father has set by his own authority. So the one thing that people are obsessed about, when does this all wrap? Uh, he gives us hints. He gives us some signs. We can kind of figure things are kind of wrapping up. I certainly think we are in those days, but nobody's going to know exactly when this happens. And then he changes the subject. He says, listen, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and then a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight as he ascends into heaven. So sure enough, they all gather together, and they are waiting. Don't leave Jerusalem. He said, don't leave Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes. They don't even know what that is, what's going to happen on the day of Pentecost, which is uh, next month on May 23rd. Yes, I remember it. All right. Uh, and we are going to be having a special Pentecost uh, Sunday emphasis that day and emphasis on what it means to receive the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Bishop Sean, uh, who was here with us last year uh, for Lent, he's going to be here speaking that morning. And we're going to have a special Holy Spirit night that Sunday night, May 23rd. Keep it in mind. And the bishop is going to be laying hands on people who've never, if you've never had someone lay hands on you to receive the Holy Spirit. He said, well, I asked Jesus in my heart. Isn't that it? Apparently not, because the New there is a part of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, that's what happens. But there's a distinct thing. We'll talk more about it as we come closer to Pentecost. Throughout the New Testament, where people would believe, and then they would receive the Holy Spirit. And then they were baptized. Not, <laughs> and not always in that order. It was kind of mixed up. But three distinct uh, things. You say, uh, is, is there something really special? You will find out that it is extremely empowering, as Jesus said, power will enter into your life when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. So anyway, they wait. Uh, then on Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit falls on them. They start speaking in tongues. Everything's different. They are just energized. And they start preaching the gospel. And we see immediately that thousands of people start becoming Christians. Now, some people say, well, that should be the norm. We preach the gospel. Thousands and thousands of people should immediately respond. Not necessarily. I mean, in major crusades and stuff that people really put a lot of effort into, you might see numbers like that. And of course, that's not what they're doing. They're just doing it with whoever's around them. And thousands of people 
are converting. You say, why is that? Because of all the seeds that had been planted. And I want to say this in an encouragement to all of you, uh, whether you're at home, you know, around the world at our campuses, uh, sometimes people get discouraged because, you know, gee, I keep praying for my brother or something or, or my neighbor and, and I keep trying to, you know, talk to them about Jesus and it's like they don't respond. Why don't they respond? Don't get discouraged. Some people, it takes quite a while for this to get in. Uh, remember that you are always looking for opportunities to plant seeds in people's hearts, little bits and pieces. And that's when God starts to build something in them and they can eventually come to faith. You have to remember, everybody that is listening to these guys all knew about Jesus. Uh, we read, was it, was it on Wednesday night that we talked about? I can't remember too many different things. But where uh, Peter came and talked to a bunch of uh, 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 Romans, Roman uh, Italians and stuff that were there, Cornelius. And he starts his little talk to them. He says, you know, you all know about this Jesus. And these were not even the Jews. Everybody knew there's no way you could not know what Jesus was doing and hearing about Jesus. And undoubtedly had run into people, many, many, many people who had stories. I was sick and he healed me. My Grandpa had a horrible whatever, and, and all of a sudden he was healed. Uh, you know, my daughter died, and he raised him from, from the dead. I mean, these stories were everywhere. Israel, even to this day, is an itty-bitty-bitty-bitty-bitty place. It's amazing that so much of the Middle East is still fighting over that little, little spot, uh, uh, smaller than most states. I think it's about the size of, uh... no, it's smaller than Michigan. It's the size of Lake Michigan? Oh, it would be hard to live in Lake Michigan. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's about right. About that's just, uh, just the lake size. That's the entire country is right there. It's really, really small. Uh, and for Jesus to be healing the sick and raising the dead and people who were blind also could see and people who were tormented of devils all of a sudden found peace in their lives. He does this for three years. The Bible says multitudes of people followed him. He went all up and down. There's just no way. These people did not know who he was. Then they hear that he's crucified. Oh, he must have been a bad guy. And then they hear the uh, uh, news that he has risen. And the, disciples, the, the apostles talk about having seen him. But there were more than just the apostles. All kinds of people. He appeared. You see these little passages. He was all over the place. And so all of a sudden, now they are preaching the gospel and thousands and thousands of people start to respond again. But there had been a lot of seeds planted in them. So my encourage is don't be discouraged that people don't respond, people that you care about, that they don't respond quickly to the message of Christ. It can take a while of planting seeds into their hearts and time to pray for them. And uh, I hope you're not mad. <laughs> I know these guys. <laughs> Goodbye, Ashley. <laughs> I'll show you here why later. Anyway, so uh, that's a lot of girls. Yeah, I hope Pops is saving money, man, for the weddings, because that'll set you back. Holy cow. Anyway, sorry, you at the campus couldn't see this little gaggle of girls that their mom went out right in front of me. So... All right. What am I talking about? I don't even know what I'm talking about. Oh, so anyway, uh, they start coming to faith and the church explodes. And then we read this interesting thing uh, here in Acts, the second chapter, verse 42. 
talking about all these new believers. The church had never existed before. Now, all these believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So we get a picture of these people. They are hanging out together every day. I don't know how they pulled this off. Didn't anybody have any jobs? I don't know. But they were gathering together. They were so excited. And they had this very super, incredibly tight connection with each other. And they were very generous in helping each other. Here's where we get our first picture of what we call the fellowship of believers. This is something that we recite in the Apostles' Creed. We just did it together. We believe in the fellowship of believers. Now, the original and uh, tr- uh, traditional English translation of the Apostles' Creed, the phrase doesn't say fellowship of believers. It says we believe in the, the communion of saints. You say, well, why do you change it? Uh, we don't change everything traditional. For example, in the, the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass you. He's not talking about trespassing on your property. It's, it's really forgive us our sins as we forgive others their sins. Why don't you change it? Well, it's just so traditional. Everybody uses it and everybody should hopefully understand what we're talking about. Although there are times that we will change things because the language changes. Language changes over time. When you say communion, most people in general think of the Lord's Supper. That's what communion, the communion of saints. It's not talking about the communion uh, that, that we think of. The word communion initially is, uh, trans- you can see it still in the dictionary, the act of sharing or holding in common, of participating. The communion, we're, we're connected to each other. That's what communion is. Why do you change it? Because I try, if you have words that you have to always explain all the time, you should change the word. Okay, uh, so we don't say communion. We talk fellowship, which is the same word. There's all kinds of, there's, there's another word that talks that same kind of idea of sharing and connecting. It, it, it's called um, um, uh, intercourse. And uh, it literally means communication between individuals and groups. In fact, there's a city in Pennsylvania called Intercourse. Intercourse, Pennsylvania. The thing is that word doesn't mean that anymore. It refers to sexual relations. And there's probably not any man, woman, or child that doesn't giggle every time they drive into Intercourse, Pennsylvania because of what the word means today. We don't use that word to describe it. Words change. If I were to advertise we're going to have Intercourse next Sunday, a lot of you would stay home. And sadly, a lot of people who don't normally come to church would probably fill the place. So, I mean, it's just... It, it doesn't mean, so we don't use words like that, even though, well, traditionally, well, whoopies think and do. We change it because it doesn't make sense to people. So we don't talk about the communion of saints, and we drop the word saints, primarily here because we live in the north in a very strong Roman Catholic tradition that is here. 
you must get south of the Mason-Dixon line and you say saints, everybody knows what it means. Saints is what the Bible refers to as believers. Everybody who is a believer is a saint. We're all saints, according to the Bible. Well, the Roman Catholic tradition came and they made a special category of people that were extra super holy. And then they said, well, those are what saints are. Uh, oh yeah, we're not anti-Catholic. We love the Catholics. We help support some Catholic works, actually, in our own city. So, but we just disagree. <laughs> there is not a special class of people called saints. We are all saints. So rather than have to explain that every time we say it, we change it to Fellowship of believers, because that's what it means. All right? Um, da, 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 da. Um, now, now, sometimes, you know, purists don't like when we change it. There's another one that we change uh, in the Apostles' Creed, which is we believe in the, uh, uh, the Holy Christian Church. The original English translation was the Holy Catholic Church, small c, not the big c, or whatever c. Uh, when you say that, we're not talking about the Catholic Church. But in this area, you say Holy Catholic Church. What's everybody going to think? Catholics. In fact, I talk to these guys even in the South, and they struggle with the word because more and more people think of it as Roman Catholic. Every side, one priest, he tells me, uh, it's an Anglican priest or the Protestant priest. And uh, I said, we say the Apostles' Creed every Sunday, but every Sunday I have to explain to the people that we mean small c, which means universal, everybody type thing. And I said, you could do that or you could change it. <laughs> and quit saying that. And uh, just say the Holy Christian Church. So, but, you know, everybody's got their thing. A lot of uh, uh, traditional liturgical people uh, really hang on to these things really, really hard. And they don't like changing them at all. Uh, and they tend to be very intellectual people. Uh, and we try to keep things as simple as we can. And God bless them. I mean, everybody's got their thing. Uh, we are a, what's called a convergent church. We mix liturgical and uh, evangelical and charismatic all together, try to take the best of all of it. But hardcore liturgical people like to use the original, really strict words to the point you know, a lot of people don't know what they're talking about. And I think it's one of the reasons they struggle so much. Most liturgical churches in America are literally dying today. They think they're fighting for these traditions. And it's like, you know, if you guys don't adjust a little bit, you're going to be fighting for nothing because nobody's going to be left. So we try to adjust some of these words and phrases. And if you're going to be really hardcore, it wasn't in English in the first place. It was in Greek <laughs> and then in Latin. So unless you're going to have to say it in Greek and Latin, relax a little bit. All right? So that's why we have taken the liberties to change just a couple of those phrases and anyway to this idea where we get to the fellowship of believers. Now, here's the interesting twist about the fellowship of the believers. Uh, not only are we connected to current believers, but in a sense, we are connected to all believers, past as well as present. There is some kind of connection to all those who've gone before us and even to this very day. In Ephesians, the sixth chapter, uh, second chapter, verses four through six, Paul writes, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Fancy word for sins. Uh, it is by grace that you have been saved. Praise the Lord. And he says this, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Wow. So not only when you come to faith in Christ, do you get a piece of heaven in you, apparently there's a piece of us that gets in heaven. You say, what does that mean? I have no idea. 
All I know is that's what happens. And we are connected. We are, there is an incredible change of fellowship. And some of these mystery, mysterious things that you feel in your heart that lights up inside of you is all about stuff like that, which guys like me can't explain. A lot smarter guys probably can. But uh, it's this idea that we are connected. Um, in uh, Hebrews, not he- yeah, Hebrews, where'd it go? The 12th chapter, verses 1 and 2. And you have to understand, the Bible wasn't written in chapters. We added that to break it up so you could find stuff. But he had just gone through and started naming all the great people of faith that had come before. And then he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked before us. Why? They're cheering us on. We are connected to those even... say. Does that mean they can literally watch what we're doing? I don't know. I haven't been there. But all I know is somehow we are all connected. There is this incredible thing that happens. And in reality, we are connected to all believers, true believers throughout the city, throughout our state, nation, and the world. There is a connection. And if you've ever had a chance to run into other Christians who are alive in faith, you can feel that connection right away, you know. We're different churches, and everybody agrees about the same thing. Uh, We don't all speak the same language, but there is this wonderful connection, this fellowship of believers that happens. All right, so let's read that again in Acts, the second chapter, verse 42. These believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So they're constantly getting together and eating, which Christians do. (laughs) I eat a little bit too much, to be honest with you. Uh, Breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together. Look at how intense their commitment was to each other. They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. What really stands out in this verse today is the incredible generosity that fell upon these people. Once you really understand this connection with heaven and with people and and what God is doing in the church, it should open one's heart and create a sense of generosity. The tighter you are, the less you get this. The more you start to understand it, the more generous people begin. And they didn't give out of a sense of obligation. And by the way, this wasn't concerning their tithes and offerings. Now, speaking of words that (laughs) we don't translate uh, sometimes, the word tithe. We usually use the word tithe, and we're kind of glad we don't translate it <laughs> because it freaks out new people. The, old, the, the biblical uh, standard of giving money to God was called a tithe, which referred to 10% of your income. You say, holy cow, that's incredible. Yeah, that's why we say tithe, so we don't freak out new people. Uh, uh, but it refers to this 10%. Now, you say, well, do we have to give 10%? Look, here's the thing about Christianity. You don't have to do anything. Do you have to pray? You do not. Should you pray? Yes. Do you have to go to church? No. Kids will be reminding their parents of that next Sunday. He said we didn't have to go. (laughs) But should you go? Yes. Should you give? Yes. Do you have to? No. This is done voluntarily. And the standard is this sense of 10%. Uh, and this is what these people did. Now, some people argue that the New Testament churches didn't do this. Absurd. That's just an absurd concept. You have to remember, the beginning of the New Testament church was all just Jewish people. They were obligated. See, it's different. Under the Old Testament law, they had to do this. 
We take the standard and bring it into the New Testament church, but it's not about what you have to do. It's the standard. Say, well, gee, I can't do that. We'll start somewhere. 2%, 5%, 8%, somewhere where you say, I take this and I intentionally set it aside and I honor God for blessing my life and I give back into the kingdom of God. So they all did this by, na- they, they were drilled into them that they do this, uh, their, their tithes that they brought to God. This is beyond that. They would take and sell extra stuff they didn't need. It's not like Americans, right? We don't sell extra stuff that we need. We buy storage sheds. And we fill our basements. And it says, we spent all day yesterday cleaning out our basement. It is stunning the amount of crap people can hang. It's just amazing. But we, ha- we built bigger sheds to hang on to it all. You'll never know when you might need that one hubcap from that 68 Chevy. And we just hang on to everything. And, uh, and what these people, they sold off these extra things. Why? So they could have to give as other people had need. That's how close they were connected with people. You know, oh man, I'm struggling right now. Uh, you know, uh, my dishwasher broke. Oh, well, I got an extra one. I mean, that's the kind of connection Christians should have with each other. Hard for us today because a lot of us don't even know each other. This is why we encourage get involved in small groups and get to know people so you can be there for each other and encourage one another. And it's not organized. We don't organize this. Nobody was organizing this. This was happening just on its own. That's how connected they were with each other because they were part of this incredible fellowship of believers. All right? So, uh, they were giving in, in that sense. So, remember, we're tied to all believers, but not just here, to believers everywhere. It's one of the reasons why we support, as part of our missions, other believers. And we go into countries where there's great need, and we build wells and dig wells, or we do this, uh, or we help support these orphanages and stuff like that. Why? Because we're part of this big family. It's not just about us. It's about we're connected to all of them. So anyway, this morning, I want to talk to Pastor Keith, who heads up our missions program, has been meeting with Compassion International, big group, many of you have heard of them. And what they do is they uh, encourage people to sponsor children uh, and, uh, and support them and help meet their needs, just like these people were meeting needs. This is the way we can meet needs to people who are still connected to us through faith in Jesus. Does this make any sense? Two people agreed. Yes. Okay. I'm rocking so, um, we, what they do is they uh, encourage people to support children, support a child for like $38 a month. And in that, you, t- you provide food, health care, schooling, uh, their, their learning of the gospel, all this stuff to be connecting with these people. And as part of our missions program, we are encouraging people to do the same. At all our campuses, in the back, you will find tables from Compassion International, and you will see packets and the packets you go on, and you can see these little children that you can say, yeah, we're going to commit to $38 a month. Or maybe you're doing really well in life. You can grab 10 of them, 380 bucks a month. There's nothing to a lot of people. Whatever you can do, pick up some of these things. Why? Because we believe in the fellowship of believers. We believe in generosity. We believe in reaching out in our kindness. Maybe that'll affect other people to even come to Jesus in the first place. So we're encouraging this. Deanna and I sign up for this. Here's a little boy from Bolivia. And right, there is Amigo Mark, gracias por patrocinarme, which uh, means thank you for supporting me. Uh, patrocinar comes from the Latin word patronize, which, uh, or patron, you'll hear of when you 
You know, people who are patrons of the arts or something. They're supporters. Uh, if you go to businesses, you patronize those businesses. Oddly enough, there's a negative version where we say, don't patronize me. Uh, which, I don't know how they come up with that. Patronize me all you want, baby. You know, so support it all. You know, it's, it's, I don't know. Somehow, it's an insult. Only Americans can take something that's good and turn it into an insult. We're very gifted in that way. But it means to support. So he's, they're thanking us for supporting him. And he sent that picture. I thought it was kind of cool. So anyway, um, uh, why do we do this? Because we believe in the fellowship of believers. And as the early church was generous, we too should be generous. And when you do this, you lay up treasures in heaven, the Bible says. And I promise you, the more generous you are, the more God will bless you. I was talking to Bishop Sean. I was down there Monday and Tuesday of this week. And he says to me, he says, you know, a lot of times churches get nervous when they have other programs of support because they think, well, that, that's just going to be money that could have come to our church. They go somewhere else. He says, you know, it's never that way. He says, the more generous people get in giving out, the more generous they get even here. It's just, it's an attitude of giving and generosity. And the more you do it, the more God blesses people so they can even be more generous. Who do you think God is going to bless financially? The person who hangs on to everything or the person who's more open-handed? I promise you, it's the person who is more open-handed. Let's have hearts of generosity. Amen. All right, we'll come back to that at the end of the service. Right now, we are going to go into our time of communion, referring to the actual uh, worshipful part of communion. This is where uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and wine, gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body and my blood, which is shed for you. He says, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because it's easy to forget why we're here. And every Sunday we remind ourselves, we are here because Jesus Christ died on that cross for us, the sacrifice for our sins. And, uh, and we celebrate his resurrection um, from the grave. So we're going to do that right now. Now, the Bible says before we partake of communion, um, we should examine ourselves, see where we're at with God. Always keep short accounts with God. Don't let stuff build and your heart get all icky and stuff. So let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. I'm going to pray for a general prayer of forgiveness over all of us that are listening right now, whether at home or here, or on the internet, wherever. Uh, and let's just kind of reset things with, with God in our lives. Heavenly Father, before we take of the bread and the cup this morning, in obedience to the scriptures, we pause to examine ourselves. If we have sinned against you in any way, thought, word, or deed, something we did that we should not have done, something that we should have done that we intentionally did not do, if we've not loved you with our whole hearts, if we haven't loved our neighbors as ourselves, for the sake of your beloved son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, we ask you to have mercy on us and forgive us of all our sins. Strengthen us in all goodness and keep us by the power of your Holy Spirit that we can live lives that glorify your name. And as our heads are bowed, maybe right now the Holy Spirit's reminding you of something you shouldn't have done or whatever, just ask God to forgive you as we do this. And, and if you're new to all this, you've never experienced Jesus in your life, you can pray this right now. Just ask Jesus to come into your life and ask him to forgive you of all your sins. He said he can do that all of them at one Yes. He will lift from you the burden of sin right now and come into your life and change you. And you can start having your first steps of faith this morning and experience this glorious thing that we've all been celebrating today. Amen.